chapter 6, okay? 1 Corinthians 6 is where we'll begin. Then we'll go to Job chapter 2 and also Proverbs chapter 11. I'll give you some time to turn to each of them. We'll just read a couple of verses out of each, pa- each passage uh, to set up the message this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and uh, we're going to start reading in verse number 9. He writes, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You know, the Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The only way to get to the kingdom of God, the only way to, be, to go to heaven is to be born again. Amen? You get saved and things change. And so you notice as he's writing to believers, he says in verse 11, and such were some of you. That described that describes your lost life. You lost your life without Christ, without God. That's your way. That descri- that, those terms that he mentioned there, those sins, describe some of you, some of us. But there's a difference in verse 11. You're washed, but you're sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of of our God. What a difference Jesus makes. Amen. But I wanted to use the scripture to begin with this morning because I want you to see there is a distinct difference between when we were lost without Christ and who we are in Christ. That's who we used to be. Such were some of you. It should not describe us today as believers. Can I get an amen there? Something is wrong if you've been saved, and that still describes you. Okay. Now, let's go to Job. Let's go to Job chapter 2. And I touched on this last week, um, but it wasn't the point of the message. And I, I want us to see here... Let's just uh, t- sake of time, Job 2, verse number 3. Satan is standing before God. He's presenting himself before the Lord. And Job 2, verse 3, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Remember last week, those messages he received in chapter 1. Just one thing after another going bad, 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 bad. Nobody had a day like Job had in one day. Everything changed. And, and, and the Lord said, still he holdeth fast, 
his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. The Lord allowed this to happen in his life. And then look at verse number 9. Remember his wife? His wife said unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. All right, now, Proverbs chapter 11. Job, you got Psalms and then Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11, in verse number 3. He says here, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. That's important here. The integrity of the upright shall guide them. But the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. One of two choices there. The integrity of your character, your, who you are, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. But the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Father, I pray... Help me this morning as I deliver your word and speak about an important subject today. Father, it's needful. We lack integrity in our culture. We lack a moral compass. We lack a centering, a desire to always be pleasing to you. We're having character problems in our nation. We see them in our homes. Sadly, we also see them in our churches. Help us, Father, to learn some things from your word that we recognize in our life. We may have, been, we may have done a lot of things wrong that we're ashamed of in our past. But in Christ, everything has been changed and forgiven. And help us, Father, to bring glory to your name by the way that we conduct our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Integrity. When I got out of high school, I, I, I took on a few different jobs. Uh, I, tried, I tried a factory job. I lasted one 12-hour shift. I said, I am not doing this. This is not what I'm doing in my life. I, I I could not go, I could not see myself going to one place every day. That was not for me. My dad retired from that, spent a number of years, 40 years doing that, and I just, that was not for me. Ended up finding a job with a, with a lawn care company, and uh, did that for a couple of years and worked hard. But we'd work 80 hours a week in the summertime, 10 hours a week in the wintertime. And uh, when you're, when you're, that's, that's fine when you're 18 years old, but uh, when you're 19, 20 years old and you're trying, you're on your own, you've you got to have more than that. So I ended up getting a job with a construction uh, company for $5.50 an hour. I didn't know anything about construction, knew nothing. My boss would send me to the truck and say, get a 12-penny nail, and I'd go to the truck and try to figure out what a 12-penny nail was. Had no idea, nothing. That's why I made five fifty an hour. Knew nothing, but I began to learn, and uh, but it came a time where, I, and I fell in love with that job, 
but we didn't keep enough work. And so I ended up doing the cable company, and I was deputy dog. I went around looking for people who stole cable. Yeah, I was, you know, you've heard me tell those stories, especially about the one man I'll kill your dog. That, that's, that's a great story. All right? So I did that, and then I ended up, uh, they, the company got bought out. They wanted my, my position to go to sales. I said, I'm not going to sales. I don't care anything about that. I want steady income. And uh, so I ended, up, I ended up going to work for my father-in-law, and, uh, who was not my father-in-law at the time. And uh, I really, really learned how to do the construction business and uh, was taught so much about so many things. You know, I learned as a young man, um, sometimes people don't always think about this. You just think about in terms of what you receive. You go and you go to work and you get a paycheck. I recognize working for a self-employed small business that... I wasn't always guaranteed a paycheck. We had to get out and we had to work for it. And there was a lot of risk that was involved by my employer. And so I'm, I realized this. Uh, I realized that the more money that I could help my boss make, the more money that I could make. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a guarantee. I'm just going to get a job and I'm going to get this amount of money I needed to help him make money in order for me to be able to make more money. It's just the way it is. And it taught me some things. And in the construction business, I learned a lot of things. I tell you, when you're, when you're a contractor and you're building a house and uh, you have to, you build a new house and you warranty that house for a year or two years and uh, they can call you back at any time and you got to go in there and fix it. I tell you what, you'll learn real quick to do it right the first time. Because when you have to go back, you're not getting paid again. That's on your dime. That's on your time. And if you do too much of that, it's going to hurt you. And so it's always better to do it right the first time. Amen? Now, not everybody practices that. Lots of people try to cut corners. Lots of people just try to just get by. I'm just going to do enough to get by. But if that's the case, you're lacking some integrity. It'll always cost you more to go back and have to tear it all out and redo it than it will to just take your time, use the right materials, put forth the right effort, and do it right the first time. Amen. I'm talking to you this morning about character. I'm talking to you specifically about integrity. And it's something that our culture lacks today. And as I mentioned, sadly, we see that in the local church as well. Headlines are dominated by people who make the wrong choices. And perhaps a part of that is because human nature loves to see others fall. If other people fall, it doesn't make me feel so bad about myself. And that's the reason I believe that that kind of news sells. And I'm often, the thing that really often blows me away is how Christians sometimes hope to see others fall. I never understood that. How we're not pulling for one another. Because it seems to me we need to be hopeful that one another succeeds. Amen? We're in this thing together. We're on the same team. And because of this, we do and we should 
place a high value of knowing a person or people who live with integrity. The important thing is to recognize what it is. Well, you could say integrity is always doing the right thing even when no one is looking and even when the choice isn't easy. That's integrity. When nobody else can see you. Everybody makes a big deal over reputation. That's what people think about you. But who are you when nobody else is around? The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. God's all, God always sees. You could also say that integrity is staying true to yourself and true to your word in the face of serious consequences, and that's true. A person of integrity is also one who is not compromised by awkward inconsistencies. In other words, sometimes life hits you right in the face. Sometimes things don't always go as you expect them to go. Sometimes people behave in a manner that you question why. Why, why would they do that? Why would they choose to do that? They know better than that. Sometimes things just get you and you see inconsistencies and it slaps you in the face. But instead of going up and down, he or she is always honest and let their actions speak for who they are and what they believe in. Proverbs 10, verse number 9 says, He that walketh uprightly walketh surely, but he that perverteth his ways shall be known. When you're walking surely, you have a sure foundation. You're not wobbling. People are not looking at you like some drunkard who can't stand up and can't keep his balance. No, you got a sound footing. You know where you're going. You know where you stand. According to Job, back in Job chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10, Job was a great example of consistency. He had been slapped in the face. He had lost so much. I have heard, for example... I remember a time when it was a situation similar to this past week. And I remember getting a phone call from somebody whose pipe had busted. And the next thing they said is, why? Why does this always happen to me? They didn't realize when I got that phone call that I was underneath my house with a busted pipe. And it was so cold, I had this flannel shirt on. It was so cold that when I came out from under the house, my shirt was completely solid ice. It happens to everybody. It happens to us all. And Job's wife questions him and says, why? Why do you keep your integrity, curse God and die? And Paul's, uh, Job is just simply saying, shall we accept all the good and not the bad? It's part of it. A person with integrity is not ruled by emotion. They're led by values. Proverbs 11:3 that we just read in our opening, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. When you don't know what to do, your values lead you to make the right decisions. They guide you. 
The integrity of the upright shall guide them. It helps you to know what to do when everything else seems to be falling apart. And as we see in his interactions with his friends, Job's integrity does not waver despite what others think or say of him. And the question this morning that I begin with asking is, why is integrity important? Well, if you're still in Proverbs, go to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 1. And I'll show you one reason that integrity is important. Proverbs 22, verse 1. The writer says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Your name is more valuable than your bank account. Amen. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Are you trustworthy? What kind of person are you? Talk about reputation. When people think of Cecil Berry, what do they think? What comes to mind? Your name is more important than whether or not you cheated somebody out of something and have larger, more money. Have a condo down at the beach because you did it. In a questionable way. A good name is rather to be chosen than silver, than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. I try and try and try, and Christy and I, we try and try and try to, to just get it into our kids. The blessing of God is more important than anything else. Having favor with God. You can fool people. You can fool your parents. You can fool anyone. But you can't fool God. And the blessing of God is something that's more to be sought after. Go to Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees who are those religious leaders. Those people that are known and stand out in front of everyone else. And preach and tell people what they should do. And how they should behave. And who God is. And all of these things, and Jesus is dealing with them in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus healed some in verse 22. Verse 23, all the people were amazed and said, It's not this the son of David. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. If Jesus is called names, you'll be called names. That's not, that's not, a, that's not a factor here. Not everybody has to agree with you to be right, for you to be right. Not everybody is always going to say kind things. That doesn't question our integrity. People can think what they want to think. Jesus knew their thoughts in verse 25 and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And he has some things to say, and I want us to get down to verse 33. And Jesus says, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. 
For by the words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Every tree is known by its fruit. What, are, what kind of fruit are we producing? People look at the fruit of our life, and that's where they make the judgment. And they may not agree with it, and that's one thing. You know, they, they looked at Peter and John and the others in Acts chapter 4, and they didn't like them preaching the name of Jesus. And they, they told them, listen, you don't speak about Jesus or else. But it does say that they took note. Those men had been with Jesus. Those men were known by their fruit. Every tree is known by its fruit. Some's good, some bad. What kind of fruit do we produce? What do people see when they look at us? Do they see the sinful past because we have changed so little? Or do they see individuals who have been completely transformed? And I don't know what happened to them, but they are not who they used to be. Their fruit has changed. We'll go to Luke chapter number 6, and Jesus has something else to say concerning those, our enemies. Luke chapter 6, and look with me in verse 27. His apostles, his disciples are there. Others who had come down and stood in the plain in verse 17. The company of disciples, a great multitude of people had gathered around to hear him. He healed their diseases. And in Matthew, or I'm sorry, Luke 6, beginning, let's look at verse 27. He says, but I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto them that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away the cloak for thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And there it is in verse 31. And as you would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. That's integrity. If you want to be treated one way, then you should treat them the way you want to be treated. He says in verse 32, For if ye love them which love you, what think have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what think have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of, hope you, of whom you hope to receive, what think have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies and do good and lend, helping, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be called the children, you shall be the children of the highest, and for he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. I often tell people, you don't have to believe in Jesus, but it doesn't change the fact that he still loves you. And you might not confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you may refuse to believe that he died on the cross for your sins and was buried and rose again the third day, but it doesn't change the fact that he still died for you. You may hate him, you may spit him, you may want nothing to do with Jesus, but God so loved the world that he still gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. Well, don't, don't waste time or energy questioning yourself. 
assuming you have a conscience to begin with. That's a key point. Some people behave as if they have no conscience. Paul writes about that in the last days. There's a, a seared conscience. They don't even think about it anymore. They don't care anymore. But assuming you have a conscience, assuming that you aren't too far gone, and things begin to bother you, don't waste time and energy questioning yourself. Just do the right thing to start with. Write this thought down. Life becomes simple when you do the right thing. Life becomes simple when you do the right thing. If you lie, you've got to keep lying and keep covering it up. Amen? Just tell the truth to start with. It's just, it's just that simple. If i got to lie to you, well, then I have to lie to the next person. And that lie gets more and more complex, and I have to keep hiding it, and then i gotta be more, I got to be more creative in the way that I hide things. And it's always bothering me, and, it, and, and people don't know it, but I'm looking at you, and I'm thinking, do you know it? And I'm, I'm, this is always on my mind, and eventually I'm going to get caught. And that's why a lot of people, when they finally get caught, it's actually a relief, because they're tired of hiding it. It is, life is simple when you just do the right thing. Just do it from the beginning, and you don't have to make everything so complex. Just be a person of integrity... And be who you say you are. If you call yourself a Christian, then do your very best to live your life like Christ. Desire not to live after the lusts of the flesh, but to be filled with the Spirit of God, where there's love and joy and peace. Life is simple when you do the right thing. If you're always on the run, if you're always having to look over your shoulder, it'll always catch up to you. Some guys in our church know this. Pay your fines. Can I get an amen up there? Because they're always going to catch up to you. Just do it. Just do the right thing. People always have a record. Our life and our actions are open for everyone to see. And we don't have to worry about hiding anything when we choose to be people of integrity. Write this thought down. A single bad choice can destroy a lifetime and legacy of integrity. How you leave is important. How you leave here is as important as how you lived here. Always remember that. A single bad choice can destroy a lifetime and legacy, legacy of integrity. If we're people of integrity, I just said it, our life and our actions are open for everyone to see. We don't have to worry about hiding anything. Ask what you want. Look where you want. How, how do we have integrity? Well, let me give you three very quick things. Define your values. That's important. That point is key. What are your values? Those values may be different for a lot of people. There are a lot of good moral people in this world who are lost. Amen? They've been taught. My grandmother did not get saved for a long time because in her words to me, she says, I was raised so strict, I refused to believe that I was a sinner. That preacher said, you're a sinner. He said, the Bible says that you're a sinner. I couldn't believe I was a sinner because I was raised so strict that if we got out of line and we got so punished, she says, I had a hard time for a long time believing that I'd ever done anything wrong. If I ever did anything wrong, my daddy would have got me. That's what she told me. 
And finally, the Holy Spirit brought her to a place she realized she needed to be saved. There's lots of great moral people who are lost. The rich young ruler who fell at the feet of Jesus. When Jesus told him, thou shalt keep these commandments, and he mentioned them. And the rich young ruler said, these have I kept from my youth up. He was a great moral man. Jesus did not argue with him. No, you have not. You didn't keep any of those things. He just brought up to the one that he had not kept, and that is sell all that thou hast and give the poor, and thou shalt have eternal life. He had other gods before him. There's always something. We'll always find something. You may be better than everybody else, but nobody is anything compared to Jesus Christ. So what are your values? Well, Psalm 119, 105 says what? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If I want to know where I'm, I'm supposed to be going, shouldn't I believe that the word of God is going to help me get there? That's where my values begin. What does God have to say? What does God's word have to say about this? As a believer... As a child of God, as a Christian, then everything should be centered and based upon what does God have to say about this? All right? Psalm 1, thy word is a lamp in my feet and a light in my path. That, that verse that we love to teach or we love to teach our children, it's one of the uh, outside of uh, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. That's what we always teach our children. That's the first memory verse they learn, right? Yeah. You're lying to me if you say it's not. We, we like to, we like, you got to obey your mom and dad. Youth workers, that's, that's one of the messages. Obey your parents. We teach them obey, 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 obey. Well, Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. Okay? I'm, I'm hiding that word. That word is important to me. And I'm understanding what the word of God has to say about this. Because if I know what the word of God has to say about it, then it will help me make the right decisions. That's my values. Joshua 1, verse number 8, talks about meditating the Word of God day and night. That's where we have success, to, to know the Word and to do the Word. And we heard last Sunday night in Psalm chapter 1 how important the Word of God is for of us. And, and that is what centers the RU ministry around Psalm chapter number 1. 2 Timothy three sixteen. all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for all things, for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. All of these things that we need, correction, all of these things... We understand. So many males today have a problem with pornography because it is so easily accessible. And it's so easy to hide and cover up. And there are so many other sins that people have. And young people struggle with this greatly. And you can do it and you can hide it and you can cover it up and you do all these things. And there are things that, that we talk about, Christy and I talk about, we can't keep our eyes on our kids all the time. They're going to make decisions that they're going to make. And we hope that they have enough integrity that they want to live their lives to honor God and not the lust of their flesh. When it comes to our tongues and gossiping and we hear something, there is a desire in us we want to share it with somebody else as soon as possible. That's a human nature. Go back all the way to Eve in the garden. When she ate that fruit, it was so good, she had to let Adam know. She couldn't keep that thing to herself for any time. Destroyed her, it didn't matter. She wanted to, she wanted to share it with somebody else and let it destroy them too. It affects us. 
And if we don't know what the Word of God has to say, thou shalt not covet another man's wife. And then Jesus carries it farther. If you look on a woman and lust after her, then you've committed adultery. That affects everything. Can I get an amen? And I'm just using that as one example, but there are so many things that we, that we can get caught up in and nobody is looking around and nobody else knows and we cut a few corners and the next thing you know, it's grabbed us and it's become a part of us and it consumes us and it ruins us and we're behaving just like we did when we were lost and without Christ. It affects your character. It affects your conversations. It affects the way that you look at a person. It affects your spirit when you come into church. It consumes everything that is about you. And we need, we need to recognize and represent the fact that we are saved and born again and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's not always about what everybody else is doing. It's about what I am doing. What kind of fruit am I producing? Define your values. Secondly, analyze your decisions. Write this down. All decisions lead us somewhere. We determine where that will be. All decisions lead us somewhere. Say it's a small decision. It's leading you somewhere. All decisions lead us somewhere. It is up to us to determine where that will be. We cannot consistently cut corners in private and not expect it to eventually show up in public. Amen? My state champion basketball coach taught me a lot of lessons. And that man was a sinner, I'm going to tell you. That man could cuss with the best of them. He was rough. But that man taught me some things. We ran a lot of suicides back in those days. And he'd sit there and watch us, and you better touch every line. Can I get amen? You better touch every line, because if you didn't touch every line, we're going to do it again. And he'd put it up on the clock, and he'd say, you're going to do a suicide in 25 seconds. And you better be moving free throw line back, half court back other free throw line back, all the way down and back. You better be moving. And, and when you're tired and worn out, you know what you do, Cecil? You'd try to shorten that. You'd shorten it as much as you possibly could. And we'd get all the way back, and he'd say, get on the line. We're doing it again. And he would tell us, he would tell us that if you didn't touch every line and you cut corners and you shortchange yourself, then you will, at some point, you will fold and not give it your best because at some point when it gets hard, you're going to want to quit, you're going to want to cut corners, you're going to want to find the easy way rather than find the champion way. He taught me a lesson. It's better to do it right to begin with than it is to do it over. After you do so many over, you learn... I better do it right the first time. When I was doing construction work with my father-in-law, who was here this morning, I would stand down, I'd be the saw man, and I'd be cutting something, and they'd be up there on the scaffold, way up there in a gable. And I remember this one time, I can tell you where it was, in Mount Carmel subdivision. And I'm standing down there, and I'm learning and they're working on something, and they send me a piece down and say, cut it again. And I cut it again and send it back up there. And they said, no, got to do it like this, cut it again. 
And I looked up there and I said, I said these words. I can't see what you're talking about from down here. And the words that they said, him and his brother said, but we can see it from where we are up here. It doesn't matter if everybody else can see it. If I can see it, that's enough. Amen? And if I know it's not right, I can come down and you may overlook it. You may not even care about it. It might not even bother you. But I know when I come back down, I left that up there and it's not right. And that speaks of my integrity and my character and the kind of builder that I am. So it's better for me to do it right than it is to just cover it up and say, well, you'll never see it. Amen? Are you getting me this morning? Having integrity means no matter what, you make the right choice. Big or small, it is a value that you live by all the time. I saw somebody offer this as advice. When you're wondering what is integrity, ask yourself, if my choice was printed on the front page of the newspaper, or on the front, I don't know, whatever is on the internet, would I feel okay about it? If it was known by everyone, would I feel okay about my choice? They don't all have to agree about it. But would I feel okay about it? If I make this choice, will I feel okay with myself afterward? Nobody else may even know about it or care about it, but how, I'm, how am I going to feel afterward? You look at some examples of integrity. Noah lived in a very corrupt time. The Bible says that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord and he did all that God commanded him to do. In Daniel chapter number 6, as a captive, Daniel, uh, he, people didn't like him. They didn't respect him. They tried to find things that were wrong with him and they finally determined that the only way we're going to get to Daniel is going to be with his relationship with his God. And therefore, we're going to pass a law. We're going to get the king to pass a decree that if any man seek any other uh, wisdom or quest, uh, ask any, of, any, any other being of anything other than the king himself, he will be in the, he'll be in the lion's den. He'll face punishment. And Daniel just went up there and he opened up that window and did what he did always. Daniel obeyed the Lord. You know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were forced to face the fire in Daniel chapter 3, they said, let it be known, we're not going to bow down to that image. God will deliver us, but if God don't deliver us, we're still not going to bow down. What, what, what led that decision? They were people of integrity. They were people who knew where their values were. And they knew it may cost them, and they were facing that. And everybody else may bow down, but they said, listen, this is where I draw the line. This is where I stand, and we're not crossing it. And it may come out good for us. It may come out bad for us. We don't know what the outcome will be. But this we do know. Let it be known by everybody. I am not crossing that line. I am not going to sin against God. Amen. Well, jo Joseph, Genesis 39, I won't go there. He handled his situation with integrity. Well, the last one is, so know your values. Analyze your decisions. And the last one is model integrity. And I want you to think about this. Value and keep your word. Be trustworthy. Proverbs 25 verse 19 says, Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. You can't put confidence in an individual that you can't trust. 
Amen? That's why we expect our pastors to be great men of integrity. Right? That's why we expect, God help us, we expect our leadership to be people of integrity. We expect that. Take responsibility for your actions. If you make a mistake, own up to it immediately. And do everything you can to right the situation. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. It's okay to make a mistake. We're going to make them. But don't hide it and don't blame it on somebody else if it's your fault. Amen? Say I'm sorry. Right the situation. Make it right. Surround yourself with the right people. People you hang out with. The people that is influential in your life. Surround yourself with people who have the same values and demonstrate integrity themselves. Because if they don't, they will always fight you and try to pull you down. And it's easier to be pulled down than it is to pull somebody up. These are people who will support your decisions. Well, these are my values. Make it very clear. These are my values. This is who I am. And either you're on board with that or you're not. Either you can walk with me, we can walk together, we can, we can hold one another's hand, we can lock arms, we can put arms around our shoulders, we can sit together, we can fellowship together. This is who we are. These are my values and this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm not going to do. And either you're with me or you're not. But we need to make that determination right now. Here's another one. Don't run from difficulties. Face them. Don't run from it. You say it's hard. Stay standing. Face it. It was hard for Job. He faced it. It was hard for Joseph. God got him through it. It was hard for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went in the fire. They found, they found the Lord with them. They ex- Daniel, look what happened to Daniel. He spent a night with a lion. But he spent a night with God that you and I have rarely ever experienced. You will learn something through that trial and that hardship that you will not learn if you run from it. You have to face it. You have to stand before it. And you have to deal with it. Psalm 56 verse 3 and 4 says that when, when, when David was dealing with some hardships and there were many people who were accusing him and wanted his life there in, in, the, in, in, in Gath, in the Philistines, he says, at what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Face it. Don't run from it. Face it. And then just do right. Just do right. It will never cost a man more by doing right, even if, it, even if the cost requires his very life. It will never cost a man more by doing right than it will cost him by losing his integrity and the value of his name. Can we close with Colossians chapter number 3? This one important scripture that I think if you'll memorize and hold close to your heart, it will help us all. Just do right. 
Life is simple. Life is simple when we choose to do the right things. It's complicated when we try to do things that are contrary to God. God's blessing is not going to be there if we try to live our lives outside of the will of God and God's word. Can I get amen? You, you, can't, you can't expect us to live a sinful life, a life that we know is contrary to God. You know it, and you're going to do it anyways, and you expect. And then something goes bad, and you say, what does this happen to me? It might happen because that's just the way life works. It might happen because God's trying to get your attention. Amen? Or my attention. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Look what Paul writes in verse 23. And whatsoever you do, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Do it for the Lord. All right? Say it's not that big deal. It's a big deal. If it involves your life, it's a big deal. Everything about our life is important to God. He's in the big things. He's in the small things. Just do it to the Lord. Say this is a small thing. Every decision we make leads us somewhere. We determine where it's going to take us. You can either dig that hole deeper or you can fill that hole back in. And just put a marker there and say, this is where I messed up. I'm not doing that again. And let's go. I started with 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for this reason. There is a difference in a believer and an unbeliever. And too many believers are living like unbelievers. And we already know that, we already know the moral compass of our country is messed up. But we also recognize, and you have to have your head in the sand not to recognize it, the moral compass in the home is messed up. And the moral compass in the church is becoming more and more messed up. You have to have your head in the sand and not recognize that. His integrity guides him. He knows where his values are. He knows what God's word has to say about it. He knows what he should do and what he shouldn't do. He analyzes his decisions. If I do this, this is wisdom. If I do this, this is where it's going to lead. Am I prepared for that? Because either there's, there's going to be something to it. And people may not like it, but that's okay because I know I'm, I believe I'm doing the right thing. I believe I'm doing what God's word tells me to do. Or, people might not like it because I'm doing contrary to God's word. It's going to lead me somewhere. And i got to look at it and say, where is this taking us? And then three, model that. Model it. People need to see what integrity is. Our young men, our young ladies need to see what integrity is. They need to see mom and dad making hard decisions. They may not understand it, but they know that their mom and dad is not, because they will see when you, when you lower the standard. They will see that. They will, they will not like you when you keep the standard. Oh, mom! Right, mom? 
Mom! You have to model it. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to who? The Lord. People take care of themselves. Amen? One day I stand before God, I don't stand before you. That's the one I got to worry about. Let's bow our heads.